Welcome to the Insight Podcast. Joining me on the show today is Nikki Kay. Nikki is a medical doctor and honorary clinical lecturer in the Division of Medicine at the University College London. Her book, Hormones, Health and Human Potential, is a guide to understanding your hormones to optimise your health and performance. I talked to Nikki about the role hormones play in our health and performance, the daily hormone cycle that men experience, the three things you should be focusing on to optimise your hormone health, what you need to know about relative energy deficiency in sport, advice for men and women who want to stay healthy and strong as they age, and much more. Enjoy the episode. What is this role that hormones play in our health and performance? Can we start there, Nikki? Sure. Well, hormones, if I say the word hormone, I think maybe people will dredge up from their memory bank somewhere or heard it said that hormones are internal chemical messengers, and indeed they are. So they're molecules that travel around in the bloodstream. So that's like a strict definition of what is a hormone. Well, that's quite boring because it doesn't actually tell you what hormones do, does it? So Yes, they travel around in the bloodstream, by the way, which is a great way to get around the body because blood obviously goes to every single cell in the body. So that's really, you know, thumbs up for the hormones. They can get everywhere. But when a hormone arrives at a target cell, then it shimmies into the cell, into the cell nucleus where the DNA resides. And the hormone tells the DNA what to do. It tells the DNA what hormones to express, uh, what, sorry, what proteins to express. So the hormone has a direct link, um, you know, to the DNA to tell it what proteins to produce. So that is pretty incredible if you just stop and think for a moment. So DNA, we all know it's the blueprint for life. Yes, yes, yes. But have you ever wondered, okay, here it is locked up, as it were, in the DNA. But then how does it sort of get expressed? How does that message get through to the body to make us who we are and what we do? And the answer is the hormones. They um, unlock the DNA, bring the DNA to life. And this is reflected in the word hormone actually derives from ancient Greek, meaning setting in motion. So the hormones set in motion, you see. Um, our DNA unlock it and set us in motion on a path to which determines both our health and our performance, our activities, both mental and physical, by the way. So yeah, that's why that's what fascinates me about hormones. <laughs> they're invisible. Yeah. You can't feel them. You can't touch them. Yet, every second of your life, they're running around in your body doing really important things for you. Yeah. So affecting every aspect of our life, our sleep, appetite, all of these things. Any other kind of real life examples that, that yeah, are particularly... Well, I sort of think of it like in sort of mental and physical terms, like physically, absolutely. Right. All mm. the bits of our body, the skeleton, the muscles, as you say, the digestive system, uh, the urinary system, you know, all of that, everything in our body physically that needs to happen to keep us, uh, you know, sitting here on the chairs, list, you know, uh, or moving on all of those things. And of course, this, but then with the sleep sort of gets more towards the brain. So that's the physical effect, but actually the mental effect, because hormones are able to get into the brain. And actually, they're very important neurotransmitters, as we say. 
So um, the gap between the neurons in the brain, the connections, those are very much determined through our hormones. So which in turn, as you say, affects how we sleep, our cognitive function, how quick we are picking up stuff <laughs> in the classroom <laughs> or wherever. So, and our mood. So yeah. I include that in, in mental health. And also, I mean, health is divided into physical, mental, and social. So social health is actually pretty important. Uh, you know, how we interact with others, which in turn is, deter deter is determined how we feel. If we mm -hmm. feel in a good mood, if we feel, yeah, we want to talk, we want to learn, we want to exchange ideas. So it's all intertwined, you see, um, uh, but all underpinned by the action of our hormones. Mm. And we all have the, the same hormones, but there's different levels in men and women. Is that correct? And can you kind of expand on that? Tell me more about that. Yeah, so um, absolutely the same sort of uh, fundamental hormones that mm. some people may have heard about. And, and um, for example, there's the stress response hormone, cortisol, which mm. we do need some of in the morning, by the way, to get us out of bed in the morning. But obviously, if there's a lot going on, then our that then the body responds by keeping the cortisol sort of maybe too high throughout the day, which can give us that on edge feeling. So that's an example. Cortisol, uh, men and women we also have the thyroid axis. So the thyroid uh, gland lives in the neck, produces uh, thyroxine, a thyroid hormone that controls our metabolic rate in both men and women. So how we burn fuel, I suppose you could say, what we eat. So those are some examples and all the um, hormones uh, involved in the gut and the digestion. So there are definitely, there's like a blueprint. The hormone systems are fundamentally the same in men and women. But of course, we all know the big difference is in the reproductive axis, the sex steroid hormones that are produced. The same fundamental principle applies um, in that the control center, um, the so-called conductor of the endocrine orchestra, that's the pituitary gland that lives in your brain. And just above it is the hypothalamus, which is the master, master controller. And the hypothalamus is fascinating because it's just where the optic nerves cross over in our brain. So the hyp hypothalamus keeps a watching brief on what's happening in the world outside and what's happening internally inside. And it can then coordinate the pituitary gland, the conductor, tell it, right, we need a little bit more cortisol, uh, we need a bit more thyroxine or whatever. So in men and women, that's the same control center. And from the pituitary gland, it will send out the same messages to what we call in medical terms, the gonads, which are either the testes in men or the ovaries in women. And of course, here is where the divide happens. So up to that point, everything is the same in men and women, right. okay? As uh, FSH and LH, follicle stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone, release from the pituitary gland, the conductor, that goes to the gonads, be that the testes or the ovaries. But then this is where, the different, where there's the divergence. If these signaling hormones end up at the testes, then it will tell the testes to produce testosterone, a lot of it, right? <laughs> um, and some of that testosterone actually, interestingly, is converted to um, estrogen, uh, which estrogen, people think, oh, isn't that a female hormone? But men have some as well, by the way. Uh, you know, and so, so that's the male, what happens in men, lot, quite a high level of, of testosterone is produced by the gonads, the testes. But in women, when the signaling molecules, the FSH and LH arrive at the ovaries, then the ovaries, uh, it's, the, it's the reverse, it's the, it's the converse. We, uh, women, we produce much more estrogen compared to testosterone, 
we still produce some testosterone, but obviously not the same level as men. Um, mm. And we also produce uh, progesterone in the ovaries. So that is where the thing, it divides. But all the other hormone systems are identical pretty much, you know? Everything, of course, because it's all controlling the same thing, the expression of DNA. But there is that sharp distinction between men and women uh, when it comes to hormones at that level. Right. And so what role does testosterone play in women and what role does estrogen play in men? Uh-huh. Excellent question. So <laughs> testosterone and estrogen to a certain extent is what we would classify as an anabolic hormone. So okay. tissue building. So there are two types of hormones, anabolic tissue building, right? So muscles, bones, etc. And then there's the catabolic ones that break stuff down, like cortisol, for example. So in men and women, we testosterone ha is even more powerful than estrogen in terms of anabolic effect, muscle building, which is why men, because they have higher levels of testosterone, are more muscular. We know that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they have bigger, thicker bones. So that's, that's the effect there. But in women, testosterone still plays a certain role in, in this, but also for women, it's... Uh, also uh, modulates libido, so sex drive, if you want to call it that, right? So testosterone is important in women uh, and men, but men have more of it, and that's why they're different in their physicality and their muscles and also in their hemoglobin, their red blood cells. Testosterone also, uh, that's why if you look at the blood test from man and woman, uh, right, their hemoglobin in men will be much higher because testosterone has this uh, sort of tissue-building effect, you see? So... So they're, right. they're having the same effects, but because you've got more testosterone in men, you obviously see more of those effects. Um, going to your estrogen, so that's testosterone. Going to the estrogen question, the estrogen is really, they, this is the queen hormone when it comes to bone health. Oh, okay. So this is why you men have to convert some of your testosterone to estrogen, <laughs> right? Uh, because it's the estrogen that is particularly good at building bone, bone mineral density, as we say, mineralizing the bone. Um, and so, again, men and women need have a certain amount of estrogen. And actually, men often think, oh, we've only got a small amount of estrogen. But actually, the level of estrogen in a man is the same as a woman in the early part of her menstrual cycle. During the menstrual cycle, which I call the amazing choreography of the female hormones, beautiful patterns happen, occur. Um, but at the first bit of the start of the menstrual cycle, during the menstruation, during the period, actually the estrogen and progesterone are sort of lowish, lower than they are in the rest of the cycle. And at that time, they're pretty much similar, very similar to what the estrogen levels are in a man. Interesting, mm. you see. But at, but at no time, by the way, do female hormones, uh, the testosterone never goes as high as in, in a man. So it doesn't, it's not quite the same. <laughs> anyway, okay. so, so, you know, it's, it's, these hormones have the same effect, whether you're in a man or woman, but, the, but the, the thing, the difference is the concentration, the level is obviously going to produ produce more of a pronounced effect, uh, you know, in the man or the woman, depending on the levels, you see. And can I hear more about the the daily hormone cycle that men experience? Because this is something that I don't think many people will be familiar with, will they? Um, mm. We might have um, some knowledge of the monthly cycle that women go through, yeah. um, but perhaps men aren't quite as familiar with uh, this hormone cycle that men can experience. Can you can you tell us more about that? Sure. 
Um, yeah, well, I mean, I have to say the female menstrual cycle, obviously, I think it's brilliant and amazing. It is complicated, all the timing of the various hormones going up and down, and it's, wow, men have a more straightforward <laughs> cyclical We're simple pattern. Creatures. Uh, there, anyway, there we go. And so what happens is that testosterone tends to peak in the morning and then goes down. It's kind of similar to um, the cortisol, sort of like a diurnal rhythm, as we say. It's higher in the morning, goes lower in the evening. And from a man's point of view, how would you know this? Uh, because that's why you get morning erections in the morning. Right. When you wake up, it's like, oh, you know, not that I know, but uh, as I've observed and been told, that's what happens. And that's the effect of, that's a direct effect of the fluctuation of, of the testosterone. So it's just a very simple diurnal variation. Higher in the morning, goes lower in the evening. Um, so that's pretty, that's really it. I mean, I suppose also we should say that we're talking about like short term um, cycles, rhythms, whatever you want to call them, um, in terms of the man's testosterone is a daily thing. The mm. woman's menstrual cycle is roughly a lunar month, roughly just a calendar month, something like that, more or less. Um, but we also have to think of the other bigger time scale over our life, I think, mm. you know? So, for example, when you're a child, that's why boys and girls are very similar as children, because everything is the same like we've discussed in terms of hormones but of course the uh, the reproductive axis hormones haven't got going yet and then puberty we see the obvious divergence right and this is because guess what the hormones have that's when they you know uh, start their action so that's that's why and then you continue along during your adult life like that but then as you get older um, then, of course, the hormones change again over this even longer time scale. So in men and women, there are similarities when you get older. And I can talk about this being older, as my children remind me, I'm very old now. Anyway, as you sort of get older, sort of midlife onwards, then both men and women, growth hormone declines. Growth hormone is one of these key anabolic hormones, which is why people, as they get older, if they don't do exercise and everything, they can very easily lose muscle mass. So that's for men and women. In terms of, as you get older, middle life, of course, women, there's the very dramatic change of the hormones at menopause when the ovaries retire. And so there's a dramatic drop in the estrogen and progesterone. Um, but for men, I often get asked, well, what about men and the testosterone? It's true, it does go down a little bit, but it's not such a massive dramatic thing uh, as we see in women. Shall I give some numbers to put that into perspective? So as a man, yeah. during the up till the age of 50, um, the, normal a, the normal range for testosterone is, let's say, something like um, 8 um, to about 29 nanomoles per litre. Okay, you don't have to worry about the units. but So bear that in mind, 8 till to 9 roughly. Okay. Uh, women during their menstrual cycle, if we talk about estrogen, their sort of key hormone, then, um, as I said, although it can be sort of lower during the menstrual cycle, it can go as high as 1,000 picomoles per litre. But when after 50, when you get the menopause, then you'll be lucky if you got 100 uh, picomoles per litre for estrogen in women. But in men, your range is still pretty decent. Maybe we shift it from 8 to 29. Maybe we just shift it a little bit from 6 to 28. So mm. there is absolutely a decline, men and women both, in growth hormone. Men, slight decline, but it is the women that see this most dramatic uh, change uh, uh, at that age. 
Right, interesting. And I hear a bit about uh, kind of hormone disruption and, you know, our, our environment mm. and toxins. I don't know, words thrown out there like that, inflammation, that this is affecting uh, hormones and that can then um, display itself in terms of, I don't know, girls hitting puberty earlier, maybe boys hitting puberty earlier. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I, I know that I've heard about girls hitting puberty earlier. Um, men's testosterone, has that taken a dip recently? I don't know if that's just some bro science that I've heard, but it, it, could you speak a bit about that? Like, it, it, is is that a real thing that's going on in 2024, that our hormones are being disrupted because of our environment, uh, pollutants, because of stress, all these things? What's going on there? Potentially, yes, but actually taking it down to the sort of fundamental level, does our environment affect our hormones in general terms? Right. Absolutely, yes, because that's the okay. job of the hypothalamus to keep this watching brief on what's going on outside. So, for example, the key ones, uh, lifestyle choices, I suppose you could say, are nutrition, sleep and exercise. If you get the right balance of those, then your hormones will respond, work really well. You can harness your hormones and you can reach your optimal potential, full potential. But if you have an imbalance in what you do, which I would say was is the environment in terms of what you choose to do, then that could have either a positive or a negative effect. And coming back to the age of menarche, as we say, when the age when um, girls start their periods, you're right, it has come down over the last century. Uh, for example, my mother, I asked her the other day, and she started her periods when she's 14. But now the average age is 12. But that is the environmental factor of better nutrition, you see? So yes, it is an environmental effect that better nutrition um, has brought down the age of Menarche to 12. Although this seems to, well, we can argue either way. Well, quite, exactly. It seems to have stuck there. I think there's a limit to how you know, the body's saying, well, actually, is a, is, a, is a girl of less than 12, is that a good, you know, potentially getting pregnant? It's like, that's not so good. So there probably is a block mm. there. But I'm just giving in response to your answer, does environment affect our hormones? Yes. And that is the classic example you uh, mentioned. Interesting mm. about the, tes the testosterone in the boys, I suppose it's harder to measure because starting your periods is like definitely a uh, point in time, similar with the menopause, point in time the period stops. So it's quite easy to quantify that. But testosterone, I mean, unless you're going around measuring it, it's it's difficult to say um, right, or exactly right. or me measuring all the, you know, the puberty stages, the so-called tanner stages in boys. But again, it's a little bit harder to exactly quantify, but that's an interesting question. I don't know what someone's done a study on that, but it could be potentially. So there are some... Some so there are definitely environmental things, although you're right, those are more lifestyle choice things that we choose what we put in our mouth. We choose how much exercise we do. We can choose or can regulate when we go to bed and all that sort of thing. So those are under our control. But in answer to your question, are there some bad effects of the environment? Yes, highly processed foods is number one. Uh, in fact, pretty much the top one. Because a highly processed food, um, I was listening to a very interesting, uh, you know, uh, discussion lecture on this. And the reason we have highly processed food is that you can extend the shelf life and it's cheaper, right? So you don't have a sell-by date compared to fresh stuff. So to make highly processed food, as the name suggests, uh, 
you effectively sort of mush up the food and take out all the goodness effectively and you put in a whole load of preservatives to make it have a longer shelf life and then you put it on the shelf for someone to eat. It's like, hmm. So uh, there certainly are some additives and preservatives that in children there are question marks about ADHD, for example, or this is this because of all these funny flavorings and additives in food. So I think there is, um, you know, some potentially concerns about that. But again, very, very difficult to unpick that because you'd have to measure the exact level of the thing, these things, these potential toxins or whatever you want to call them in food, have to look at that, how much is that person eating in conjunction with their particular environment? Are they also living in, like you said, a stressful, lots of stuff going on in the family or whatever? So it's going to be quite difficult to unpick all these confounding factors. But I think, I think the evidence is the obesity epidemic, right? So right. yes, unfortunately, and you know, I know you te teach youngsters, youngsters. I mean, when I was at school, and yeah, this is a long time ago, obviously, as I pointed out, you know, I can, I don't think there was anyone that we would say would be overweight or, or fat or whatever, because we yeah. were all running around and, you know, this was what you were served. There wasn't highly processed foods, but now there are these foods, peer pressure, appetizing, all these things, uh, less activity from the children, I think, you know, um, being driven to school yeah. and on all this sort of things, pressure on the timetable. I mean, you know about this, you know, so, so actually environment in that sense, I think we have to look at the whole environment. We can't point our finger at one particular additive or ingredient. It's actually in the whole context of everything. Cause you know, we all have the occasional fast food. That, that's fine. If it's just the occasional one, it's not, it's okay. But it's in the context of all the other things where there could, I think, uh, you know, there is definitely evidence and concern that this could have an adverse effect, especially on those youngsters when everything they're growing and developing. And some quite scary studies showing um, that, you know, at, even at that young age, maybe even when the, the child's in the mother's uterus, depending on what she's doing, um, that actually maybe has a, such a powerful effect on their adult health, right? Mm -hmm even more than the genetics itself. Because if you're bombarding the system with all these, this stuff or imbalance in behaviors, that will affect the hormones, which in turn will, it, will change the expression of the DNA. So you could have a really great set of DNA there, but it's never gonna get its, 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 uh, its time, as it were, because the hormones have detected actually there's something else going on, you see? So I think, I think you make a really, really good point that we need to think about, uh, you know, the environment, how it's changed and try and guide, especially the youngsters, because that's, as you know, when all these habits are, are set in. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. I do blame uh, social media quite a lot. We didn't have that in my day. I know, you know, <laughs> this is like the dark ages. My children are amazed. It's like, my goodness, you didn't have mobile phones. How did you exist? We did <laughs> exist. You know, so all these other factors as well, on put that all together. And I think it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite complicated, isn't it? No, absolutely. But it kind of, it seems to ring true with me, you know, the environment that we're living in. And you mentioned food, you mentioned exercise, you mentioned sleep, mm. that it's like we're constantly having to fight against this environment. You've got to be really c conscious of mm. what you're eating, how much you're moving, how can you 
um, you know, think about your environment so that you sleep better. And mm. it's kind of just like we're we're constantly running uphill, aren't we? But I suppose we want to focus on the, you know, we know what's causing some disruptions perhaps in terms of ultra processed food, not mm-hmm. moving enough, not sleeping enough. So let's like flip that and and let's focus on y- your work, which is what you do, isn't it? You know, you've you've written the book Hormones, Health and Human Potential, which is all about people understanding this um link between your their their hormones and health and giving them kind of the roadmap and the tools to like what what can we do to help ourselves here. So maybe mm. we could look at each of those three things. Like yeah, what, yeah. what are some cool. general principles that we can can, uh, that you can talk about in terms of eating, exercise, and sleep to to help ourselves. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, it went a bit negative, didn't it? <laughs> this dreadful environment. No, no, oh dear. No, but yes, that's. <laughs> but but on the positive note, it, this is under your control. Those three things yes. are under your control. You know how you eat, what exercise, what movement you do, and how you sleep. It's those are not like super expensive things needing complicated equipment and I don't know, whatever, it's actually quite fundamental. So looking back, looking, starting with nutrition, um, you know, the old adage of three regular meals a day. My grandmother was always saying, oh yes, breakfast really the most important meal in the day. And you know, your grandmother, you think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Old wives tale. But actually then lo and behold, a study comes out saying, yes, it's true. You have to eat in a regular mat- manner to fuel your hormones in a regular manner so that your body can function in, a, in a, the optimal way. And we know in, you know, people are in a rush in the morning, oh, I haven't got time for breakfast, uh, just grab a coffee or whatever it is, actually just making everyone can make the time. If that means getting up 10 minutes earlier, so be it, to have a breakfast, nothing like super complicated. But that's a really good starting point. So three regular meals a day. Make sure you've got those three big food groups, carbohydrate, complex carbohydrate, cereals, bread, pasta, a portion of those every meal, good portion of protein every meal. And of course, fruit and vegetables, plenty of the rainbow, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that that is a really good starting point. Are you eating in a regular manner? Because we all know and there will be some days we all know when you're in a rush and, and it it doesn't happen exactly as you want, but that's okay. So you shouldn't beat yourself up, but if you're trying to achieve that, but it will need to be modified according to your age and your activity level. So if you are a teenager who's growing and has got high energy demand and you're in the school team for so-and-so and you're doing exercise out of school and you've got to do your brain work, guess what? You're going to need to eat more than me. (laughs) So (laughs) you really have to tailor it according to what you need. So that's very simple nutrition. Um, Exercise, uh, you know, there will be some people that like exercise and, and let's be honest, some that don't. But it's a case of doing what you can and doing what you enjoy. You know, sometimes I have to actually try and hold back youngsters who are like frankly overdoing it, you know, and and are doing all the exercise in school and they've got outside clubs and they actually are doing almost too much exercise because they can't fit everything in and including the nutrition, they can't meet those energy demands. But there are those I know who aren't so keen about exercise, but I think if, if you're one of those people, it's a case of finding what can, what do you enjoy? If it is a brisk walk, that's a really good starting point, you know, rather than you see lots of videos and things, oh, yeah, I've got to be doing this and that in the gym and all that. It's like you don't have to. You've got to, 
if you if you like that and you want to, that's fine. But again, it doesn't have to be expensive, you know. And brisk walking, easy jog, you know, swimming pool isn't very expensive. Things that you can do, and also being active throughout the day. So actually, I'm feeling okay today. I did get up and walk around, but you know, there are some days when you actually you do probably not so much as a teacher. But there are some days when actually you realise that you've been spending an awful lot of time sitting. Well, if you're sitting marking or I don't know whatever, then actually it's not just having exercise, but actually it's being active. So even if you are doing whatever, the swimming, the brisk walking, maybe the jogging, whatever it is, if that is, and then the rest of that day you're just sitting still, actually that's not so good. So actually you need to also make sure that you are getting up, moving around a little bit. I mean, instinctively mm -hmm. we'll have to get up to go and get something to eat or go to the toilet or something, but actually physically getting up and you know, not doing a whole exercise routine, but just going for a little walk around the block or something, whatever it is. So that's exercise in a nutshell. And yeah. it's all the types of exercise. Um, recently, the guidelines have changed from the government saying, yes, aerobic exercise, but actually they say strength exercise for all age groups, which is very interesting. Um, obviously, we're not going to get, you know, children of five doing deadlifts, but you know, some sort of, you see what I mean? Uh, depending on the age, what sort of ex strength exercise. Um, and then finally, that sleep. We maybe should have started at sleep, but anyway, sleep. Um, you've got to like this quote. Uh, sleep is the chief nourisher in life's great feast. Shakespeare, Macbeth. I still remember it. Oh, I've never heard I did, that. I did O-level English, and that really does show my age saying O-levels. Anyway, um, for the younger listeners, that was the equivalent of GCSEs, right? Anyway. Um, and we studied that book, and I just remembered that quote because it was like, oh, that's really interesting. And it's so true because when you're asleep, this is when lots of these hormones come into action, like the growth hormone we spoke about for body composition, the testosterone we've already mentioned later on um, uh, during your sleep. And so although you are physically asleep and, and, and inactive, your hormones are not. This is their busiest time when you're asleep, shoring up all the good work, you know, uh, all responding to your nutrition, your exercise you've done during the day, hopefully. So actually, if you skimp on sleep, you're skimping on the time when the hormones can do their uh, work, their magic. Another thing my grandmother used to say, which turned out to be true, she used to say, oh, it's the hours of sleep you have before midnight. And lo and behold, a paper came out like two years ago saying pretty much that in a nutshell, saying that if you consistently go to bed really late, like after midnight, then even if you say, oh, I'm going to sleep in, that's not so good for your health because of the hormones, because of cardiometabolic health, as we say. So my top tip for sleep is actually you could try putting on an alarm for going to bed, not so much for getting up. So put an alarm when you're going to start your wind down bedtime routine, your sleep hygiene, right? Try not to look at computers and mobile phones because the light emitted from these devices that interrupts with the production of your sleep hormone melatonin. I'm guilty of this myself, I know, right? So these are hard habits to break. But, you know, every little bit, just making, being aware that actually, if you're thinking, well, where do I start? Where do you start? Is put an alarm on for bedtime and curfew on the laptop. Shut it. <laughs> Adults and children. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, it's advice that I need to take as well. I mean, my phone's quite good and, and lots of modern phones now. You can set up kind of a sleep schedule, can't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So exactly. mine... Yeah, mine's like in in line with sunrise and sunset, so it kind of it will mm. change the the colours. Um, it will even go black and white, so you know 
it's less appealing to be scrolling on social media at that time. And so that that helps. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all, all just it's simple advice, but these are the things that work, isn't it? And often it's it's for most people, that's our starting point. And you, you know, so, Sometimes we can get bogged down in the little yeah, details exactly. and the supplements and everything. I mean, you know, I love listening to podcasts, but a lot of the podcasts I listen to are sponsored. And so it's all about your, you know, how you're getting this supplement and, mm. you, you know, wearing your wearable device to track your sleep and doing all, all these, these different things that cost money and, and take like yeah, brain power yeah. to think about. But it's the simple stuff, isn't it? You know, eat and more fruits, also, vegetables, also, these are expensive beans. things. You know, I oh, yeah, yeah. bagfuls of supplements. I've had some people coming and it's like, oh, what are you taking? And it's like, my goodness, how long is this list? And how much is this costing? <laughs> Big list, yeah. If you, if you eat all food groups, like we've discussed, and you're not, hmm. um, then the only supplement you definitely need is vitamin D. Because vitamin D is an unusual one. Because most vitamins, you think, well, I get that through the diet. But vitamin D is unusual because actually it's the action of sunlight on your skin, which makes vitamin D. Vitamin D, by the way, is a steroid hormone. All right. Anyway, so, you know, we live in England, so we won't see much sun. So, you know, that actually is advice from Public Health England. Because even in the winter months, if we walk around naked all winter, we still won't get enough sunlight on our skin. So people will be relieved here. That's definitely not a a medical recommendation. Just get your supplements (laughs) of vitamin D. So vitamin D is definitely one. For those that are vegetarian, then actually B12 is a must, right? You won't get enough. But generally, all this other stuff is just uh, lining the pockets, I think, of, you know, various companies, like you say. And just going back to the fundamentals of trying to eat fresh food where possible and also seasonal food. Because uh, we, in our household, we try to make sure we're not, we are, you know, locally produced because then that also is helpful for the environment. You're not shipping stuff in from wherever, uh, you know, South America or something. So those are things that, you, as you say, the nutrition, we can all do that and be aware of it. And just the basics, like my grandmother, like I said, all the things my grandmother mm. used to say are coming true, right? So keep the diet you can definitely look at without all the supplements. Um, Again, one gets bamboozled with all these various monitoring things, and there is a place for them sometimes. You know, if you are truly a a diabetic, yes, monitoring your blood glucose is a good idea. If you are um, an athlete, my son uh, is a cyclist, and sure, that is useful. They have power meters on their bikes to see, and the distance and the power, those can be useful. And sometimes just having a look at your sleep quality is good, but then you just got to be aware, what are you doing with that information? All this information can in itself be a real source of stress because then you're trying to figure it out. It's like, oh my goodness, what? why the sleep? What can I do? And you, it, it actually becomes a vicious circle that you won't sleep well because you're worrying about the sleep monitor. So, you know, dipping into it now and then if you wanted to just to see is fine. But I think sometimes rather than being uh, driven or, or looking at all these metrics, actually, how do you feel, right? You wake up in the morning, uh, you know, how do you feel? Oh, and you sort of do a a self-check. Oh, I know why I feel like this because I did look at my computer last thing at night, uh, you know, and I'm going to correct that next time. Actually, some simple things like that can uh, just can be just as effective. Oh, for sure. And it takes 30 seconds, doesn't it? But I think we wake up and we're so straight away, go, 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 go. You know, I've got to get on it and I've got to check my phone and things like that. Whereas we could just spend a little bit of time being more in tune, like you say. Yeah, just reflecting. Um, Mm -hmm. For sure. Right, what is 
relative energy deficiency in sport. Or there's a, is it a shortened version, Reds, is Reds, it? Yeah, you, exactly. Reds, yeah. Yeah, What's it's this? not a football team, um, American football <laughs> team. Anyway, Reds. So relative energy deficiency in sport, exactly. So as the name suggests, it's relative energy deficiency. So it's the sort of person that is doing a lot of exercise, brilliant, but they're not eating or fueling sufficiently to cover that, that energy demand. Because even if we do lie in bed all day, actually being warm-blooded, uh, you know, we need actually quite a lot of energy, sort of, you know, basal metabolic rate, resting metabolic rate, just to stay alive. We need a lot, quite a, and the majority of our energy from our food goes to just keeping alive. But now if you're going to factor in lots of exercise, um, you know, cycling, running, whatever it is you're training, then obviously that's going to add an extra energy demand. But if you're not meeting that with what you eat, then relative, you're in relative energy deficiency. So you might look at this person and say, oh, well, they're eating a lot. But what are they doing? Compared to someone who is sitting still all day, yes, they are eating a lot, but they might still not be meeting their demands. So that's why it's relative energy deficiency. So why is that, that a bad thing? Um, because the, uh, the control of the hormones, the conductor of the endocrine orchestra and the hypothalamus, they register. It's like, oh, we're in low energy availability. This is a little bit concerning. So the body will self-regulate, will try and economize right? Um, if, you're, if you're driving your car and you know when the petrol warning light starts to go on, what do you do? You slow down, don't you? Instinctively, oh gosh, I've got to save it to get to the petrol station. So this is what the body does. Warning tank, you know, warning sign, the tank is low. So it will start to slow down. For example, one way to economize is to downregulate those reproductive hormones. Not a good time to be reproducing if you're on low energy. So men, their testosterone will go lower. They'll feel tired. Women, it can even be um, that their periods will stop entirely because that's a good way to save energy, you see. So that those are the consequences. If you're in relative energy deficiency, then the body will adapt, respond by downregulating some of those things. And we mentioned already how important, for example, estrogen is for bone health. So this is why these individuals are more at risk of getting bone stress injuries, fractures even, and all these sorts of things. Um, but this is over, a, I want to stress though, this is over a long time scale. I mean, uh, you know, going back to the petrol tank analogy, if it just sort of dips into red and you immediately get to the petrol station, it's okay. Like we all make mistakes. As I said, sometimes it doesn't work out. You, you thought you were going to have lunch at one o'clock and then the clinic runs over and now it's three o'clock and I still haven't eaten. So I am in relative energy deficiency, but only just very short, right? Low energy availability. So that's okay. But if a person consistently, day after day, week after week, month after month, then the body, then that does present um, a problem, you see. So, um, excuse me, I'm just going to decline it. So that's what relative energy deficiency. Now, the interesting thing, it can be intentional, unintentional. It could be unintentionally, the athlete just didn't realize that they were expending so much energy. And so they just, just made a mistake. Because if you go out on a four-hour bike ride, for example, it can actually be quite physically difficult to, to get in enough energy and, and gels and bananas and I don't know what. Or your banana might have fallen out. So it's a, it's a mistake, right? That's unintentional. But there's the intentional sort of athlete who thinks that if they intentionally restrict what they're eating and run low, this will somehow improve their performance or their body composition, their weight particularly. Um, so any sport against gravity, which living on Earth is 
most of them, um, you know, there is a there is true a certain there is a sort of a fine line. Uh, if you are a lightweight and you want to jump high, whether you're a dancer or you want to cycle up a hill, you know, or be a climber, actually, you know, you if you're very heavy, then that's actually going to be a lot of um, uh, demand, right? So there is a kind of a rationale to a certain extent, but it's when it goes over, it tips over into now being unhelpful and unhealthy and thinking that if I'm lighter and lighter and eat less and less, I will get better and better. But obviously we know, <laughs> right? It's kind of like Hooke's Law. At some point, the thing will snap and that's it. Um, you won't, You there's a limit. So that's what relative energy deficiency is, intentional or unintentionally underfueling for your energy demands, requirements. Um, and it can have quite serious adverse health consequences. So that's what yeah. I've done lots of work in with dancers, for example, um, with cyclists, um, all these sorts of sports where I see there's a problem. Um, and then lots of my day-to-day -day job is explaining to the athletes just what I've explained now, that this isn't a good thing, not only for their health, but for their long-term performance. It's like they think, oh, I'm going to get better and better. But it's like, no, you're probably going to, something's going to give and you will get a stress fracture. Something's going to happen and I don't want it to happen to you. So that's uh, if the person realizes that there's a problem, then you can give some suggestions how to correct that. Yeah. And I feel like it's very common in, in just the general population, isn't it? As in the people that are getting into the gym and they're wanting to yep. get lean, they're wanting yeah, to yeah. look good when they go on holiday. You know, some people, that, some of the things I see on social media when they're kind of sharing the amount of calories that they're eating per day, I'm like, you're eating how many calories? I'm like, wow, that's like half of what I would eat. But it's all with that goal of just looking good. And it's like, this is where we've got mm -hmm. to reassess haven't we that looking good at the cost of what there's lots of things we can do, do to look really good but that's not one of them a, yeah it, yeah, it, yeah, then yeah it will be it will backfire you see because if you exactly feel like that saying, then yeah. it will increase your stress hormone cortisol which favors the deposition of fat so actually right. you your body composition could actually tip over and get worse as it were and also then people get obsessed with the number on the scale which is measurement of gravity by the way and again it's like, why isn't that going lower? Because your body is adapted. Your body is saying your thyroid axis has dialed down and said, no, 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 we can't. We need to do something to slow down the metabolic rate to prevent this person losing weight before they become unhealthy. But I just want to return to that point you made. Although it's called REDS, relative energy deficiency in sport, they've made it the S, a small case now, which I think is good because it reflects the fact that it's not just sport people in competitive sport. And I actually agree with you, it's more likely to be in the amateur athlete or the gym goer who is, look, says, oh, I have lots of people who will come and apologize. So I'm not an athlete, but what, what's wrong with me? And it's like, like you said, well, you're not eating any carbohydrates. You're under fueling. Um, this is why you feel exhausted and, and not good. And this is why you've got lots of injuries. Um, so you're right. It's, it's general you know, any gym goer, any person potentially could be at risk, not helped by the mm. social media messages we have out there. But it's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because we've got these two extremes. It's got this dichotomy. On the one hand, we got, we mentioned the obesity epidemic. And then on the people other hand, we got these, much, yeah. these people with reds, right? So if only we could bring people back to the, the sort of the middle. If only people would remember what Hippocrates said, in fact, 2,000 years ago. Which is? Hippocrates said, if we could give 
each individual just the right amount of nourishment and exercise, not too little and not too much, we would have found the surest way to health. And so Hippocrates is even older than my grandmother. So he, he was onto something there. So I think, again, just peeling back all this mystique, all this social media thing, everything, it's like, let's just think what Hippocrates said. He was absolutely spot on. But the thing about Hippocrates, he didn't real he he spoke such true words, but he didn't realize why. Why, why? Now we know what that missing link is between our behaviors and our health. The missing link, of course, drum roll, the hormones, you see? So that's why you have to try and tune into your hormones or, or get some appreciation. I'm not trying to turn everyone into a doctor, but some appreciation that these hormones are pretty darn crucial and they will absolutely work to your benefit if you treat them nicely. And you, yeah. you remember Hippocrates. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I'm just thinking that I, at the moment, I'm very active and I reckon I have fallen into a bit yeah. of this every so often and it's left yeah. me feeling a little bit lower mood, a little yeah. bit more lethargic. But I know, I, I know when I then addressed it, um, that now I, it's like I'm having to f almost like overcompensate. I'm having to eat more than is actually comfortable sometimes. Mm. Um, it's like I'll have an extra, um, you know, portion of oats and I'll have an mm. extra couple of pieces of toast with with peanut mm. butter on or something like that because like I'm doing so much at the moment. I'm training six, seven times a week. You know, I've oh, got wow. goals in yeah. mind, all this kind of stuff. And, you, you know, it's quite high intensity stuff. Um so it's like, it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's like you have to um, go a little bit overboard and it can be a little bit uncomfortable. I'm, al I'm also e eat a almost 100% plant-based diet as right. well. So there's some like calorie deficiencies can come up there, can't they? It's like, I've got mm -hmm. to eat a little bit more because a lot of what I'm eating, a lot of these vegetables yeah. and stuff, they're not it's calorie not energy dense. dense. So got to it's not energy dense. Energy so you dense, actually have exactly, to eat quite yeah. a lot of volume. So yes. just to mention that, that's it. Uh, I mean, this is a perfect example that if you underfuel, it might not be something as dramatic as a stress fracture, but just feeling like you said, and we know that hormones affect physical and mental, you just feel a bit down, a bit sluggish mm -hmm. in the brain and everything. And then exactly as you described, you realize that actually just eating a little bit more, then suddenly it's like a light has switched on. Oh, I feel just more, a little I feel bit more. good. Yeah. But it's right, practically, you know, you, you do have to be almost quite methodical, especially you're training a lot, you know, and you're doing high intensity. So you do have to be quite methodical. And it can be challenging if you are plant-based because, as we said, they're not so energy-dense. But, you know, you've obviously found out what works for you. So, again, that's the other thing. I'm not a big fan of people measuring and weighing and calculating. It's like, you know, you can get a rough idea, but actually, that again, being too obsessive about it. But if you are, like you are describing somebody who is training a lot high intensity, then actually it you'll be surprised you know, mm. but you're not putting on weight, are you, by no. eating all this stuff? So that's the thing. You'll burn it up and you'll perform better because when you're doing yeah. your high intensity stuff, you can draw on that carbohydrate and that's the main fuel source. So you won't put on weight. You will just use it effectively so you can perform better. You see, this is the thing. Fuel your performance. That's what you need to exactly. do. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I'm finding at the moment. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> right. Um, you mentioned before about um, how getting into the later stages of life and how the 
hormones change then, you know, women who experience the menopause, men as well, testosterone, mm-hmm. testosterone but you said that only dipped slightly, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned about um, muscle mass, how that's decreasing. Oh, yeah. And now I hear a lot about how as we age, this is something that we should be really thinking about. Yeah. Strength training, maybe yeah. lifting weights, maybe body weights to keep on as much as possible some of that muscle mass because that can protect us from falls. Mm-hmm. We know that falls and then your risk of Death, I don't know, increases yeah, a, a scary you, amount, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, after if, a you get a, if you get a hip fracture and you end up in hospital, yeah, it's, it's not great. Yeah. yeah. So what 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 can we, how can people who are at that age, what what are some of the things that they can put in place, um, thinking on both sides of that that kind mm. of uh, story, the, the, the hormone part, but then also the wanting to maintain our muscle mass, wanting to still be active. Cause I know that you work with people that are, you know, still wanting to be very active, aren't mm. they? And, and they're still involved in sport as, yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. So what, what are some of the, the, the key things that we can be thinking about there? So the reason why we tend to lose muscle and potentially get quite weak called sarcopenia and also bone as well. Um, and the potential risk of osteoporosis very brittle bones. So that is just to go back. Why is that a risk as you get older? It's because of the decline of those anabolic hormones, the growth hormone, the testosterone, the menopause, the estrogen falling. So that's why it happens. Mm. But knowing that and knowing what your hormones, so you've got less of these important hormones, but guess what? Give these hormones the best fighting chance they have. So guess what? We're going to go back to the things we've already talked about. So exercise, (laughs) top one, for sure. I mentioned that it's now included in the guidelines in addition to cardiovascular exercise, strength exercise for all age groups. But it's a case of looking at the proportions of things. So people think, oh gosh, I've got to do something totally different. I've got to do a diet for menopause. I've got to do exercise for, you know, it's like, no, no, no. You have those same principles, those three tools, and you look at the proportions of what you're doing within each. So for example, the exercise, Hopefully, you're already doing some strength exercise, but if you're not, this is the time to start. So if you're coming at it from scratch, obviously, don't go whizzing off into the gym and start doing deadlifts straight away because you will injure yourself. (laughs) So it depends on your starting point. So if you're not done any strength work, then actually you can start off, um, you know, Pilates, yoga, resistance bands, keep it simple, okay? Hand weights, not very expensive, or you could just use the can of whatever, soup. You know, you can make it really simple. If you're from scratch, as it were, if you're already doing some sort of strength work, then yes, you have to look at can what to change in that strength work you're doing. Are you doing it three times a week? And are you going for um, loads that you're not going to injure yourself, but are you challenging yourself? Are you giving the hormone something to work with? You're giving these hormones an anabolic stimulus, as we say. So I think it really depends so much on your starting point. But the general message is make sure you're continuing activity or starting activity and make sure there's a good proportion of the strength that becomes more quality over quantity is the key message for the exercise. In terms of the nutrition, again, all the things we've described, you know, all the food groups cover all of those. But again, it's a case of proportions. Now you've got to really nail that protein intake, okay? And probably eat more protein that you think you might need. And I know that breakfast is a time, and ideally spreading it out is quite handy because it's quite difficult to sort of sit down and chug your way through two steaks in the evening, you know? Um, So actually the morning, the egg, 
the yogurt, the milk, all these things. That's a top tip for that. Um, and this will give the building blocks, which will help with the anabolic stimulus of the strength exercise and give the, the slightly lower levels of hormones a really good fighting chance. And also another top tip is protein before bed. Very interesting study oh, really? showing that if you take, um, again, another old-fashioned thing, they're all, some of them are true. You know, the old-fashioned Horlicks advert, you're probably way too young to remember that. Anyway, it was like a milky drink at bedtime. Um, and that actually, milk is pretty darn good because it's got a particular type of protein in it called casein, which is um, really helpful for muscles. And because you're going to be starving effectively overnight, you see, um, giving yourself a little protein snack or drink or something before you go to bed is another top tip. So we've got the exercise, we've got the nutrition, and then of course the sleep as usual, we go back to that. It's a time to uh, review and revise what you're doing. So, you know, I know what it's like getting older. <laughs> you know, you do think, oh gosh, I'm getting older, negative, negative, but actually it depends how you respond to that. It's like, okay, I'm not going to ignore it. I know my hormones are changing. So guess what? I have to change. I have to change what I'm doing. I can't expect to eat and train like a 21-year-old anymore. I've just got to modify and adapt. So I think it's it's that modification and adaption, not a whole new different thing. It's the same fundamental principle. So I think using it as a positive thing to do, That's this is what I say to, um, well, I say to myself, but also those I work with, like you say, masters, athletes um, and dancers, you know, giving them these positive strategies. Okay, it's not all doom and gloom here are some things you can work with and adjust and adapt yeah so what modifications have you made is it just some of those things that we've that you've um already mentioned or is anything i don't know more more specific that you've introduced you were a, a ballet dancer weren't you yeah so i do um i still do ballet four times a week and i'm one of those ones i have to admit it i hate going to the gym oh, it's really? not my thing at all but i'm okay because i'm a pilates teacher as well it's like, okay, I'm okay to do some things at home with, with the resistance bands. And I do have some little hand weights. And, you know, so, so that was, but, but there was a point, uh, you know, it's like, oh gosh, I was also with all these messages, oh, you've got to go to the gym. And it's like, I'm not going to do that. But actually, rather than just saying, ah, I just throw in the towel, it's like, what can I do? So that was my top tip. Don't be scared by this, this strength stuff. Do it what you can do. Uh, and and progress it as you can. Uh, protein was definitely something. I think I was pretty good, um, but uh, actually it was the morning thing I've just recommended that I realised looking at it, actually I was a bit of a low in protein and I do really make sure, it's a good excuse, I love smoked salmon. <laughs> Very expensive taste, I know. So it's like, <laughs> my husband's like, oh, you're having a lot. It's no, no, I need my protein at lunchtime with my salad. Anyway, so, you know, um, protein that you like for sure. And I'm still working on the sleep thing. Because oh, right, I know right. I'm I'm I know that's tricky, and I get I get told off usually by my sons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh no, you shouldn't be working past nine. It's like yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. So it's a work in progress because that's the other thing. No one is perfect. Do you know what I mean? I think it's also Absolutely. accepting that there isn't such a thing as perfect. You just have to do the best you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that's really interesting to hear. Um, you know the, the little, little changes you've made, and I can definitely think of people in in my family and, and friends that would would find that helpful. Just those Good. little simple switches that um, could really make an impact. Yeah, they? So exactly. Appreciate that. Right, I always round off with three quick fire questions. Uh -oh. um, 
<laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, the first one is, what's one lesson you wish you'd have been taught when you were a child? I mean, if you don't mind, I don't like that word so much taught, but with experience, as a youngster, yeah, I was the high achiever. I did want to be perfect at everything. <laughs> I have to admit, I wanted to win the swimming competition. I wanted to get top marks in the ballet exam. I wanted to get the top marks in every single exam. Um, but I found out that actually I'm not very good at art, <laughs> but I cannot do, I cannot do that music test or music. It's like, no, I, you know, and at first I was really upset. It's like, no, but then it's like, you know what? I'm going to let it go. I can, but I'm good at these other things. So, you know what I mean? So it wasn't that I was taught that, but I just realized that, that actually you can't be like the world the world expert in everything. You just do your best. And if you do find something that you are better at than others, actually probably not a bad idea to sort of, yeah, go with that, you know? Uh, and it's never too late to learn. I'm, I'm still trying with my music, but anyway, I'll let you know. Uh, but also other ways. <laughs> I appreciate music. See, I appreciate music in other ways. Because when mm. my husband's amazed, they put on a bit of music and I know exactly which ballet it's from. I know what step they're doing. And I kind of feel, okay, I know what the time signature is. I don't, I'm useless at music theory, but I can listen to it. So I'm actually, again, I've realized that, you know, you don't have to have this standard I can pass a music test. I suppose that's what it is. Actually, yeah. I still, I'm still musical in that sense because I'm a dancer. Of course I listen to the music. See, I listen to the phrasing of the music. But that's, no one's taught me that. It's just kind of like instinctive at times in my dancing. Anyway, so there you go. Uh, that was a long waffly thing about, yeah, uh, <laughs> not being a perfectionist at everything. It's not possible. <laughs> and what's one habit you've introduced into your life that's helped you feel happier and healthier? Could be something you've already mentioned. That's fine. <laughs> well, I think it is also just realising what I've just said about that positive attitude. It's like, yeah, we all get old. It's, you can't, that happens. But it's actually embracing that and using that as a, a time. Okay, fine. I will try and shut that laptop <laughs> at 9pm. It's like, okay, let's, you can always change and learn and evolve. And that's not just in terms of behaviours, but also in learning in general. You know, the person that says, oh, they know everything and everything is good, it's like, mm, I'm not sure. They're a bit too closed. So I think I think that's what I'm trying to do anyway. <laughs> and the last one, if you could give everyone in the world one book, which book would you give them? Um, I really enjoyed a book I read recently um, called A Gentleman in Moscow. It's just about um, when with the the decline in the sort of imperial empire and the rise of communism. And it's about, I think it's it's a fictional thing about this aristocratic Russian that ends up literally under house arrest sort of thing in a hotel. And it's just, it's not because it's got any deep moral thing or whatever, but it's just beautifully written, quite amusing. And there is a little bit of touch of humanity in it. So totally, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, just something a bit unusual what I came across. I think people enjoy it for the language. It's just very interesting. Nice. Thank you. Right. Um, I really appreciate you coming on, Nikki. Um, it's been really great to, to chat about all things hormones and health. Where can people find you? And also, of course, um, people that are interested in, in 
reading your book, Hormones, Health and Human Potential, where can get, they get their hands on it? Yeah, I thought that was actually when you said, oh, what's the book you should recommend? I think that would have been too much of a hard sell to say my book. But actually, <laughs> the, second, been, yeah. the second book <laughs> that you could consider is indeed <laughs> Hormones, Health and Human Potential, where I discuss some of these topics. We've, uh, I thank you. I've really enjoyed this discussion, some more things in detail and diagrams and, and things. So, so, yeah, that's available on Amazon um, or direct from my publisher. If you live abroad, it, he can ship anywhere. So that's the book. And then I have my own website called Nikki K Fitness, spelled K-E-A-Y. Um, and I put blogs on there and stuff I'm doing and things like that. I do use social media. I try to restrict it to things, um, you know, that I'm doing, you know, presenting talks, things I found interesting. So the, the handle for all of those channels, that's at Dr. Nikki K, N-I-C-K-Y-K. Um, yeah, so I'm not a massive poster. Uh, poster? I don't know if that's the right word. What do you say? Uh, user of social media. <laughs> yeah, we'll media. go with that. Uh, yeah, right, but, um, you know, I do put some stuff there. And so uh, if people want to have a look in there and see see what's what's going on, what I'm up to. That's great. Thank you so much again, Nikki. Really appreciate you. My pleasure. So thank you for tuning in. I hope you found my conversation with Nikki insightful. If you enjoyed the episode, please, please do share it with friends, family and colleagues who you think would find it interesting too. Remember to also support the podcast, please, by following and rating the show on whichever app you're listening on. Thanks again, and I look forward to bringing you another episode soon.